as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, it gives you, if you can save some money on rates and, and you know, sometimes savings can be massive, um, depending upon how much debt you've got, obviously, but it's all relative. G'day and welcome back to the Farms Advice podcast where we chat everything farming, both on and off farm. These are the highlighting conversations that I love to have throughout the year and apologies for the little gap, but we're getting back into the swing of things. We've got a bit of motivation, but hopefully a bit more discipline behind us um, cracking into the silly season of Christmas. Hopefully harvest is going pretty well, but before you do anything, make sure you subscribe to this podcast or on YouTube so that more farmers can find the farm's advice and pass it on to the next generation and including this gen. So let's get into this episode. Let's get into harvest, whatever you're doing on farm. Let's go. Well, Deb Purvis, thank you so much for coming on to the Farm's Advice podcast. Great to have your expertise in here and also to welcome you to the finance sort of series we're putting together. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. It's great to have expertise um, locally, but also to hear what others are doing and especially for yourself where you're based, um, it may operate a little bit differently or new ideas down from other areas in Australian agriculture. We're so broad, aren't we? Uh, yeah, exactly. There's, uh, It's just so different from one area to the next, even within a state. But yeah, there's just so much going on in ag- agriculture. Definitely broad in the seasons at the moment. Tell us, how's the season going down around you? Um, so it it has been a pretty good season. Certainly um, a lot of the grain uh, areas have done reasonably well. We did have a massive black frost through the mid-north last week, which uh, has come right at the wrong time and, yeah, been quite devastating both for grape growers and cropping so that was a bit of that's a negative but uh, other areas of the state are doing doing okay a couple of drier areas Um, and of course livestock's tricky at the moment for everybody and that's no different here Uh, and the grape industry also you know there's a bit of good news coming out of China but there's still a massive oversupply so um, that's yeah that's certainly a, a difficult uh, difficult industry to be in at the moment too. Yeah, that was welcome news with the China um, development there, but obviously not going to be this week for everything to go over and that oversupply of what we've been doing. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a long way to go, I think, before um, I think, you know, that changes things too significantly. But Definitely a sort of better outside outlook for coming ahead for producers down south and within the vineyard game as well. But before we get started, tell us a bit about your background and how did you end up in this role that you are in today? Yep, um, I grew up on a on a family farm in the mid north of South Australia, uh, and it was a place that I enjoyed growing up. Loved loved you know helping dad well probably wasn't helping him but I loved love being out there in amongst it um I I I didn't start my working career in agriculture but I did ended up through accounting and finance in the rural financial counseling space for 11 years uh, and that was during some of the the millennial drought and some pretty tough times for growers so it was a busy time but a really rewarding time um, from there I saw I think 
some situations where um, farmers needed some support dealing with their banks and sometimes things weren't quite set up that were in a in you know sometimes their lending wasn't quite set up in a way that was, was actually suitable for their business and I saw an opportunity there I guess to um, to sort of branch out into that space and that's when I started Purvis Agri-Finance and I'm basically a, a broker for uh, specialising in farming so yeah. So tell us about your firm um, your position in it and do you have people working for you? Uh, no I don't it's just me um, yep. I I think I don't think I, I have I don't have plans right now to do to go any further than that. Um, I enjoy the clients that I have. Uh, we we work well together, and um, yeah, I don't I don't really have any plans to go to expand it. But I do um, I pride myself on my service and uh, the being very customer centric and and really you know, spending time with my clients. Really getting in there and holding their hand. Something like this year, I had an underlying theme of frameworks and processes for farmers that get involved and even like us to get that sort of down pat as our family farm. But for next year, my theme is going to be capacity, capacity for farmers. Was that probably not the skill set difference, but the capacity for farmers to actually follow up and get the best deals for their loans, um, whether they're buying or refinancing. Is that what the biggest issue was and why you started? Yeah, I think um, I think sometimes farmers don't tell their story yeah. well and they sometimes consider their bank as someone they need to go with their cap out in hand seeking money and it's shouldn't be like that I and mean, I don't think they are they sometimes portray a confident version of themselves uh, when they are putting forward an opportunity to a bank so that's what I like to help them do is actually tell their story and put together something that um, that showcases what they're good at and and really um, you know puts their business forward in the best way possible well, probably from the landscape, you see a lot more of telling the story, um, being capable of effective and sustainable management is coming through a lot more within the books of agribusinesses across Australia to sort of under the criteria for a bank to give out these loans as well. They want these people to tell the story, um, their background, and also that they're good managers as well. Absolutely. And I went to a um, a a broker sort of session run by one of the banks not that long ago and they were discussing what they wanted to see when a you know when we put forward a, a credit application or a discussion paper or whatever and you know their number one thing is character yeah what what are these people like what sort of managers are they um you know how do they how do they what are their routines and how do they do their job how do they farm rather than what is their equity, what is their, you know, what does their cash flow look like? They really want to know what sort of character they're dealing with. Yeah, and it sort of tells the telltale signs of that business as well, whether they're 
able, have the capacity to continue through these drier periods as well, how resilient they are to bounce back. Yeah, absolutely. And do they have a plan? Yeah. So, yes, livestock prices are, are, you know, really difficult and tricky at the moment. And, yeah, I spent the afternoon last week with a livestock client and it was tough. It was hard work to, you know, talk through, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to um, get through this period? But and so that, yeah, the bank are just looking for, you know, you having a plan and um, and it doesn't always have to be uh, something that is immediate. Like it could be a two-year plan to trade out of something, a, you know, a difficult situation. So, uh, and that's what we've been, you know, that's what we were working on is, okay, when when we've got to get through this period, but then what is it, how are we going to, you know, what is it going to look like going forward? Fair fly on the wall there. What sort of strategies are you looking over that two years to sort of, are you looking to trade yourself out? Are you looking like structuring the loan to when you're expecting some cash flow when lambs or calves hit the ground or you've got your crop in? Yeah. So, I mean, it could be a lot of different, you know, there's obviously so <laughs> farmers just have so many different, different things but some of it could be seeking different markets or um you know some of the best uh outcomes i'm kind of seeing at the moment with the livestock is people that have got um you know side agreements that don't involve auctions plus and don't involve you know those other kind of sales mechanisms and and it's you know some agreement with another farmer or something like that so you know though just acts sort of looking at those sort of opportunities maybe um it might be keeping you know sheep for a bit longer if they're able to i mean obviously if in drought that's not but where we are where i was this particular day you know there's plenty of feed around so it's you know she'll be she'll be carry those sheep over and then what does that look going down the track and um yeah that that type of thing or or is it is you know i'm running a few sheep and i have a lot of crops you know, are sheep, do sheep fit into this anymore or is there, yeah, or, or do we reduce the numbers of our sheep and run a few less or something like that, yeah. So early early decisions, especially within these times, are going to play out a lot better rather than acting later. You get the later markets, a bit of the, the FOMO in there as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's like anything, I, I guess early conversations with your bank, yeah. Uh, and I guess, my, you know, the focus for me is finance. So I you know, don't know a lot about the whole, you know, the agronomic and the sheep side of it as far as the management goes. But if if we see that there's going to be a shortfall in funds or some kind of, you know, difficult situation, like difficult t um, period of time, then have the conversation early so that if if there are some issues, then we can look at other options or work through other things if we have to. Yeah, that's good. So since you're the financing banking guru, where are we at with today's interest? Um, and what are the possibilities to sort of get the most out of our bank loan, whether we're looking for a new one, refinancing, um, sort of in your hands to take this where you think um, it is, or like are you expecting the rates to hold in the next couple of months coming into Christmas? Oh, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, <laughs> and I think, and you know, even the banks answer questions. If I ask that question, they will 
answer it the same way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the market is the market is is sort of certainly indicating that there may be a couple more rate yep. rises and and we could see one as soon as next Tuesday possibly. Um, and it's certainly in the in the market rates that in the market rates that I'm seeing that they're kind of they are factoring in some number you know something um, going forward. So I think we need to be prepared that there will be uh, another rate rise or or maybe even two. Um, but yeah, I it's it's hard to tell. Um, that that seems to be yeah where where they're leaning at the moment. What about searching for lower rates? How do we go about that? Like tendering out um, our loans, refinancing, sort of restructuring. How does that play a role in improving our position with the banks, but also freeing up our hands on the farm as well? Yeah, look, um, I guess the thing that I find, there's there's a few things I think with, and it depends, I mean, you can, yeah. farmers can do this themselves. There's nothing that it's, it's uh and and i'm sure plenty of farmers have done it themselves i guess by using someone like myself it does take a lot of the time that you would normally spend because it does it takes a lot of time if you do it properly it takes a lot of time um and so that i guess that's one of the things but creating competition between the banks does especially if you know, particularly when you're a strong business, that that's when you're going to get your best outcomes out of a tender. But there are other, there are certainly other times, and one of them can be that you've been with a bank a long time, you've had some difficult, a difficult succession plan, or something has happened in the past, and they can't forget that, and they they penalise you. you they pen, they keep penalising your business, even though it's probably getting you know in, maybe improving or something but they they still have in the back of their mind and this comes back to that character thing if something happened that they feel uncomfortable about it kind of keeps carrying on and sometimes it takes a fresh start with a new bank to be able to you know kick that off your back sort of thing and and start again so there, there's there's certainly um you know those sort of times succession planning is like after a succession plan or during a succession plan that can be a good time to to review your rates as well but you know at the end of the day it gives you if you can save some money on rates and and you know sometimes savings can be massive um depending upon how much debt you've got obviously but it's all relative uh but you know it can be nothing to be 40 50 60,000 dollars savings in in interest if if you've been a little bit complacent and and been with the same bank for a long time and and perhaps haven't questioned um as you know as often as you can as you know as you should be on on your rate um you can it can creep up do you think australia like farmers the way we think we're quite loyal especially the traditional sort of farmers well the older generations we're very loyal to our merchants um to our transport people um do you think that sort of impedes on our ability to get the best rates within the farming game Look, there's there's obviously a real balance yeah. between relationship and and money, and I think that if you have a good relationship, and generally that relationship is with the manager too, it's not necessarily the bank. So when the manager moves, that relationship can change. Um, 
and managers move around probably more than they ever have in in the agri space. Um, so that that kind of can be um, a instigator for people to look around again because the relationship has changed. But sorry, getting back to your question about um, yeah, not not putting things out to tender and being loyal. Yeah, you know there are advantages to staying with the same people when you need something done and you ring up, you'll probably get it done. You know, if, you, if you're using a freight company and you need to get something done and but they're really busy, they're probably going to prioritise a loyal customer over, you know, just one that's just ringing up randomly. So there, there is a price that you possibly will pay for loyalty and you've just got to work out what that that is. Um, and so, you know, if I do a bank tender and then we go back to the their own bank and every client is a little bit different but they'll have in their mind yes I'm prepared to pay x amount per year because I want to stay with this manager or this bank or yeah it's quite hard to take that emotion out of the financing side of it especially if like if it's dealing with succession as well for your expansion to allow for succession to happen um how you would like it as well that could yeah yeah and on the other side of it is um is the Sorry, no, I forgot. <laughs> All good. So going Sorry. on the website and looking at being consistent with your financials, being on the front foot of how we can prepare, um, whether these instances come up, we've got the information ready to go. What do we need to be consistent about? What sort of um, headlines are farmers needing to look at a little bit more, maybe monthly, um, more than quarterly, I'd sort of look towards? Um, to be on that front foot to allow to adjust for the markets or to chase down your banker? Yep, I think, well, obviously cash flow is the first thing that need that uh, farmers can, you know, get into a little bit of strife with and it, and it sometimes doesn't take long to be going from one point to the to the tight point, um, especially with the, you know, the the amounts of money that you spend to put a crop in or to you know, run, run your business these days, it's, you know, it, it's lots of money. Um, so cash flow, and I always think that uh, a budget should be done, you know, annually and reviewed probably monthly. Yep. If things are going okay, you might be able to get away with it quarterly. But when, you know, if it's, if you're getting to the end of, you know, just before harvest or just before shearing, when, you know, things get a little bit tight, then, I would be, you know, you probably want to review it more often than that um, because, again, you don't want to be at the point where you've got $20,000 left on your overdraft and, and you've got to pay a lease payment or a, something and, and you haven't sorted things out. So, yeah. What about sort of running through different scenarios, if it's going to be a great season, good season or terrible season off the back of that and sort of seeing what our bottom limit is, what we need to get from this enterprise compared to that enterprise um, in a good, bad and great sort of scenario? Yep. So um, I think, you know, after your main income for the year, so whether that's sort of shearing or, or you know, uh, grain harvest or whatever, it's a good, that's your opportunity to review, okay, what do the next 12 months look like? Maybe what do the next two years look like if, if you've had, especially if you've had, well, actually both, poor or good seasons I and mean, if you've had a good season you know 
the temptation is to go spend this, do this with with the extra money where, um, you know, a bit of strategic planning and making sure that whatever you're doing is fitting to, in with your long-term goals is really important to be able to do that. And in a tighter season, it's about, okay, well, where can we, what can we do to um, reduce how much we need to spend, I guess, you know, can we do that? If we don't, do we need some more funds or, um, or is there another, another, you know, scenario, I guess, that we should be looking at and thinking about and is this a long-term issue or a short-term issue? I think that's important as well. So I'm sort of seeing this sheep thing as a reasonably short-term for the very low prices, but I'm not sure that we'll see, will we see those, you know, excellent prices that we were getting previously. So it's probably, okay, what is my business going to look like with my with a an average price going forward and and am is that you know is that sustainable for us yeah there's been a few graphs especially for livestock with the sheep markets there was it went up to like around ten dollars a kilo for um 2025 and then 24 remaining pretty steady but we can't really rely on those um that crystal ball sort of thinking but Looking at that, going back to the budget, if your expenses sort of blow out, the relationship with your banker probably comes in. And with the likes of yourself, Deb, um, even pulls on even stronger there because you can, the outcome is to sort of increase the overdraft so that you can get through this short-term period, this glut um, to sort of set yourself up for the long-term. Yeah, so, and again, that's about telling the story. What does it look like? What? Why do I need to do it? And obviously at the moment it's because, well, I only got $30 for a sheet that I would normally get $120, $150, whatever it is. Um, so that's that's the first part. But then it's, okay, so how does that look going forward and and what do I need to make sure that I, I can maintain the level of sheet that I need to to be, you know, sustainable going forward and and keep them in good health and all, all the things that – or whatever it is, um, to get through to the next. And, and in this situation, I will probably be doing, especially with sheep because it's so, you know, they're hard to budget for. <laughs> Cranes are a lot easier. Sheep are hard to, you know, to work through. For, so I would be doing a two-year kind of scenario in that and putting that to the bank with the story um, about, you know, this is why we need to increase our lending for, this period of time, I see us getting back to, uh, you know, previous levels in two years, three years, whatever it, it might be. And even like this sort of market was hard to predict for anyone. We didn't really have the benchmark of $10 per U um, if we were offloading or even some were selling them for two bucks in the sale yards, um, getting slaughtered through there. Now, bringing it back to sort of expanding our capacity, Establishing family board meetings and how this sort of works in um, telling your story, but also bringing in more hands. You had this on your website and maybe do you want to touch on the importance of establishing family boards, whether that's two or 10 people on it? Yeah, I think family boards are a really important part of a, a, a farming business. Um, I think and I think they need. It's good to have an independent person facilitate yep. your family board, and you might even have more than one independent person um, that 
that sits on on the board. I think outside members can can help reduce if there's any conflict. They they sort of help to um, reduce that and and ensure that everyone is heard. And I think sometimes in you know and it depends on family dynamics. I'm sure there are families out there that can hold a board meeting themselves and not and not and everyone be heard. And you know. The, obviously there may be conversations but um but there are other situations where it's quite difficult to have you know family sit around and actually have a conversation that doesn't um get you know have one person doing all the talking and everyone else doing the listening so i think an independent person helps bring in everybody you know every make sure everybody has an opinion um and and i think it also having those outside people just separates that that it's not a family meeting it's a business meeting that has a family involved kind of situation so i think it professionalizes it um and i think if there are and i think when you when you're thinking about who those people are it's probably thinking about okay what are our long-term business goals and what what sort of expertise do we need i mean it it, it it's not there's probably benefit from bringing somebody in that knows a little bit about the industry you're in or if if you know succession planning is part of you know making sure just having someone that has the skills that will help you enhance your business goals and you know challenge your your current thinking yeah exactly i think if you're not challenged you're not really within that growth um sort of period or you're not sort of chasing that growth hard enough and filling those gaps um Everyone in, in the family, especially if you have kids that went off, often did their own thing and sort of bring their skills back. Um, I may be biased, but that's what I sort of did and that's what I wanted to do to come back to ag and do that as well and have that sort of different outlook or um, overview of what's going on on the farm or even seeing what else out there in, in the world there is um, to see how we can improve our place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think one of the most beneficial things that – um, that happens when you do that is actually being becoming an employee and yeah. I think being an employee makes you a much better having experience as an employee makes you a much better employer um, and I, I really believe that th th that experience is is as valuable as anything if um, by you know doing something off farm before before coming back absolutely so we've established the board um, the family board and understanding the economics of your farm, we we go through, we do these budgets, cash flows for the accountant and the bank, but actually understanding the economics of the farm, how or do you work within this sort of realm to um, get the most out of your farm, setting like goals, um, objectives as well? Look, I think um, one of the things that I always talk to my clients about is their, you know, what are their long-term goals? And some of them don't have, well, they probably do, but they don't, they don't articulate or specifically write them down as goals. So that is one of the things that I talk about and something, and, and it actually probably becomes part, most often becomes part of my um, uh, discussion paper that I put together for doing a bank tender is, you know, this is what this business wants to achieve in five or 10 years. And there is a succession planning, you know, underway or succession planning is not on their agenda, you know, those sort of, those type of things. So I think, um, and, 
and that coming back to when I was talking about when they have good seasons and wanting, you know, thinking about how what to do because, you know, it's there's some funds there to maybe do something with. Well, you need to direct those funds towards whatever your long-term goal is. So if, if your long-term goal is I want to buy expand, but you're already, you know, at capacity of debt, then you need to reduce the debt so that you can actually manage your, you know, do the expansion that you have a long-term goal towards. So I think, yeah, that's why having goals are really important so that when you're making your decisions, daily decisions, you're thinking, oh, are they, do they fit with what I want to achieve in the next five, 10 years? Yeah. And having that sort of longer term vision for everyone in the family and aligning them as well. Well, that's right. And and part of those meetings can will be around, okay, so, you know, is yours a little bit different to mine? And and sometimes, you know, generational generations can have different thoughts because one generation has got 10 years of work life left and the other one's got 40. So they're thinking very differently. So, yes, and it's about working together to work out, okay, well, you know, this is, this is the five, this is the 10, and then beyond that we'll, you know, maybe that is your just like the younger generation's, you know, decisions rather than the older. Um, so yeah. Well, it's really like the risk appetite of how much you're willing to take on later on in farming career. You're probably not wanting to take on as much. You want to be a bit debt free, but also the younger generation coming through, they're looking for growth and um, to see where they can grow as well. Yep. Um. And that that's that's probably the what you would normally see but I also have seen one the reverse where the older generation are wanting to like are still wanting to you know take on debt and the younger generation are going no, I want to pull this back so it it can actually be more as much about personality and and your own you know inner thoughts than as opposed to necessarily your age but but I, I don't disagree with what you said either. It, it definitely is, you know, as, a, as an older person, you're probably not wanting to take so many risks. So. As they say, no scenario is really the same. Tell me, does, like, across the vineyard financing, does it sort of act out the same way as it does in cropping and livestock? Vineyards are um, a lot, they're quite different in that to change varieties or to change uh your you know your enterprise mix is really hard like it takes a long time so you can't you know you can't go oh I don't want to I don't you know canola's not working for me we're going to change and do something do change our rotation a bit and it's going not going to include canola or whatever it might be too much yeah um and so yeah so vineyards you know if they change a variety then it I think it's five years or something before it starts producing again. So, and the trends in wine change, you know, almost yearly these days. I mean, we, as consumers, we just change our mind what we want to drink um, very quickly. And so they, they, they just can't keep up with the, you know, with the trends um, because it takes them five years to get to that point. So it's a really, it's a really tricky game to be in as far as, um, you know, you do, yeah, you just, it's just not as easy to go and go, oh, well, this isn't working. We're going to do something else. From your position, do you think there's something that vineyards do financially um, that 
the like cropping and livestock don't do or vice versa um, that could actually benefit the other sector or the long long-term vision of what a vineyard needs to play out um uh, look i don't i don't think so i think that um vineyards need the same yeah they they operate very similarly to any ag business with the vineyards <laughs> like do they look at their products as a commodity un unless they've got the bottle shop on the vineyard as well or they're selling exporting domestic um, and internationally is that something that sort of enhances what they can do rather than bulk commodities, 20,000 tonne of wheat this year? Um, is that something that finance looks um, favours towards having that sort of director customer? Um, no, not necessarily. I think, I think the wine industry is definitely is a very fickle industry. So it's, it, it yeah. can be, you know, there are just so many different options. You, you've got the bulk wine, going overseas you've got bottled wine going overseas you've got your cellar door um you know grow your own and and make your own wine you can just sell grapes to other winemakers like there's so many different um different strategies but it can but then that depends on what region you're in um what type of wine you know you're producing the different regions um and then the market getting it to market and those type of things are also the style of wine you produces produce um has you know specific markets i think too so yeah it, it's a it's it's complex it's it's really interesting to like coming from our background we know nothing about vineyards obviously but also the listeners out there um to hear what other sectors are doing and even that longer term vision for a vineyard, we can't just rip out the plants and expect to return in a year. You've got to have that long term vision, rather maybe expansion and then get your new variety in there. That's probably a good avenue to go down for them. Um, but it's cool to see into it and see what you do and the overview of what you see as well. I think it's really beneficial to farmers of any sorts. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, everybody needs. My, you know, most farmers will need some kind of finance, yep. and that's um, that's a given. But yeah, how we go about it for each sector is can be quite different. And um, it yeah, it's it's interesting. keeps keeps my keeps my job. Um, yeah, keeps me very yeah entertained and keeps um keeps me thinking all the time. Is everything flowing? Um, so I've gotten a fair few questions about new entrants. They've been wanting some um, more topics for people looking to get into farming. What's some advice you'd give it for someone trying to get into farming? They're looking to get a loan to buy a farm and be competitive within the auction game. How would you do that? Or what language? How would you sort of prepare for this? Look, it is a tough gig. There is no doubt about it, getting into agriculture and getting into agriculture at a um at a scale that is sustainable is near impossible straight up um unless you've got yeah a few million dollars sitting in the bank for as a deposit it's it's hard work i think the options are 
leasing is a you know leasing or share farming is probably a good starting option for um for someone wanting to start up but even then you could do a lot of that work and and never be able to afford to buy your own and i think if that's your goal then you need you you know you'd need to work pretty hard to save money and try and get to that and the other i guess the other option with some of the some of the lease and share share farming i guess you create relationships with landowners. Now they're leasing and share farming it for a reason and it probably is that at some stage that land will be sold. And not always, so I don't want to generalise, but often that's what happens. So there's probably where the opportunity may um, may arise to be able to, you know, purchase it in stages or vendor finance or something like that rather than going to a bank with, um, you know, a million dollars to borrow three. Um, yeah. Have you done much work within vendor financing or setting up those sort of agreements? And do they turn out pretty in the end? Uh, look, I I haven't sort of. I mean, it's not really something that I get into, but I've certainly seen you know seen plenty of them both in the rural financial counselling space, and then my clients sometimes have you know, have some vendor finance plus some bank finance. I think, you know, as long as you have gone through a lawyer and um, got a solid agreement set up, then it's it's probably no different to any other any other lending sort of relationship. Um, it it can get tricky, I guess, if for some reason uh, the land, you know, the the people the purchaser hasn't can't make a repayments and things like that. I guess that can be tricky. So I guess as a, as a vendor, if you're going to do vendor finance, you need to be prepared for those sort of things. Um, but on the whole, I think, you know, there's some been some very, you know, some great outcomes for people that maybe couldn't get into farming or couldn't expand and have been able to through, through that, that, um, options. So. We'll have to see how the next sort of 10 years rolls out as the boomers sort of come off farm, they're looking to pass it on succession or if they have no one, they're looking to sell it off and um, see how that may work out, different sort of scenarios. But that's good. Thanks for touching on that. One piece of farm's advice that you'd like to pass on from this episode to any budding listeners out there, what would that be? Um, I think... For me, it is know your numbers and understand what's going on in your business and review your expenses. I think quite often we make decisions on the fly out on the tractor or feeding the sheep and go, oh, we need to do that, but maybe don't consider the economics of it as carefully as you should and then it's done and it's too late the money's been spent and maybe it wasn't the right plan so I think it really is you know take the time to um to review yeah your budgets and economics when when you're making decisions absolutely that's fantastic thank you for your farm's advice um as well we'll have the disclaimer at the beginning of this episode but not to be taken um as financial advice of course so for you, Deb, where can we get in touch for you? And 
actually in the beginning you didn't name the region that you're working within um how far you go where where can we find you uh look i've got i've got clients all over australia uh west australia new south wales victoria i mean most of them are in south australia that's where i am but um but certainly i've you know worked with others and um and one day i'm going to do a trip around australia and go and see all of them uh because there's some really cool places some of them live in so um but yeah i can be found on uh, i've got a facebook page purvis agrifinance i am on instagram as agrifinance deb uh twitter i love twitter um well so <laughs> love hate <laughs> relationship with twitter but anyway um yeah i, I sort of i put my newsletters and blogs up on up on there so that's um that's been good got some good good feedback from that and um and of course my website pervisagrifinance.com.au beautiful we'll put that link in the comments so for anyone listening right now you can just go down um, whatever platform and you'll be able to go to deb's website to check her out to see if she can help you deb thanks so much for coming on to the podcast great to pass on your expertise no worries thanks so have so much for having me jack that's great Thanks to Deb Purvis for giving up their time and also the guests over the year and years now. We're going into our fourth year for 2024. Um, it's fantastic to have this sort of knowledge service for you on the go. You don't have to pay anything, no paywalls. Um, it's purely just for you, farmers of all types in any sector, niche products to livestock, cropping, horticulture, those larger sections um we're here to service the needs of you so that you can grow your farm your personal development um and carry on your family legacy that's what we're all about um hopefully you got a fair bit out of this episode but don't let the scott conversation stop there come and follow us on social media instagram's pretty big tiktok's even bigger um but we love a good yarn on twitter facebook wherever you can find us farms advice to pass on the knowledge See you next Tuesday.